almost 20 years ago, I shared this message. And a few weeks ago, one of my spiritual sons visited my notes and redid this in such a degree that I got a copy of it, been listening to it the past couple days, and felt like what was pertinent then is even more pertinent now. As we, 31 years ago, we began the ministry in Southern California, my second sermon, my first sermon of revival was on the cross. My second sermon was on spiritual warfare, and my third sermon on a Tuesday night was concerning end time prophecy. I believe that we're living in the last of the last days. Those of you that have been with us for a season, we were in revival and there was a wall right here. And I don't know if you remember that wall. And Perry Stone came to minister, just going to be with us a few services. It broke in several weeks. And while he was in the podium that Sunday night ministering, what he was, what he was sharing in prophecy was literally taking place in Iraq, Iran. I was on the phone to one of the leaders of the city that was telling me that America was bombing Iraq and Iran. And we were a part of that. We watched God do that. Several things have happened in our lifetime that has not happened in any other generation. The greatest prophecy of all is that every nation of the world, every nation of the world would hear the gospel and that nation would be blessed. I have an article here uh, that's been, sh I'll share a couple things from this article, but it brought to my attention. Super Bowl Sunday, 100 and million, 111 million viewers watched Super Bowl Sunday. TV now has the power to touch the world and, re re and reconnect us with everybody. We could be, there's a possibility that we could be just a few hours away from World War III. I don't want to panic you, but right now there are two Iranian warships. Okay, who's messing with me back there? Hayden, is that you? Everybody turn around and glare at the sound booth. Go ahead, just glare at them. At this very moment, there are two Iranian warships in the Suez Canal. How many knows what the Suez Canal is? Egypt to the Mediterranean Sea. First time in the history of the world that two Iranian warships that have the ability to host nuclear warheads are moving right now towards the ocean. I do not know that Israel is going to allow those two warships to arrive because if they get to their destination, they will, be, they will, be, they will have the ability to bring nuclear warfare to Israel from the ocean. That's happening right now as we, are, as we are sitting in this congregation enjoying this Sunday morning service. I have an article, article here that declares, how many remembers what the word said would be in the last days concerning Noah? Anybody? Eating and drinking and getting divorced just to get married. The divorce rate now is 50% in the nation, even higher in Christian marriages. How scary is that? I have an article here that says excessive body weight is now a global phenomenon with 10% of the world's population, about 500 million adults, considered obese. The article at the bottom of this is about the Indian government is trying to give each of 1.2 billion citizens a universal identity number that will have a biometric marker such as an iris scan. Right now, there's someone in the world trying to put a mark of the beast on someone to identify them, and we're sitting here on this beautiful Sunday morning enjoying what God has for us. If there was ever a time to take notes, I believe this morning is that morning. If you don't have anything to write, just borrow somebody's um, the front of their Bible. I see that uh, Loretta has some paper there that you can borrow from her. And uh, you might want to write down some of the things that we're going to touch today because I want to talk about seven satanic attacks 
that are addressing the body of Jesus Christ right now as we are seated in this facility. Revelation 12, as many of you know, is a very, very powerful passage of Scripture. That's where we hear that Satan, one-third of the angelic force of, of, of the enemy, will be cast down, and we, we will declare that we have overcome the enemy by what again? The word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb. Each one of us that have been washed in the blood, we have a testimony. Whether your testimony is, I've never done drugs or alcohol, I got married as a virgin, I've loved God all my life, what a testimony, what a standard to establish for the younger people to hear and to comprehend. If you've been in prison, you've been in the gutter, you've been on drugs, and you're clean today, what a testimony, because there are so many in the world right now that are struggling with pharmaceutical drugs. The past three times that I've shared the message, America the Addicted, I've asked the families and the congregation, if you have someone in your life that's in a rehab or just got out or is, or is hooked on alcohol or drugs, I want you to lift your hand. Every single family in the past three congregations have lifted their hand. There's someone in their life hooked on drugs. Well, I'm here to tell you, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, and God has raised you up to bring freedom and victory to your family. And this is the attitude. If God did it for you, he's no respecter of persons. He will do it for them. We realize that there is a, a satanic battle going on. Jesus said in Luke 10, I beheld Satan as lightning fallen from heaven. And then Jesus makes a statement, I give you power to tread on what? Serpents. Serpents re represent the attacks of today. You cannot walk your Christian walk and not be endangered by the enemy. We used to sing a song, the devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box, lock that box and throw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me. Unfortunately, you cannot catch the devil and put him in the box. He has a purpose just like you. He has a mission. He has an agenda that he is desiring to carry and, and to fulfill. When Paul was cast on the isle, they were shipwrecked, they were abandoned. Paul went to do what anybody would do, build a fire to get us warm, and out of the fire there was a snake. You cannot touch ministry and not take the risk of getting burned. You cannot touch ministry and not take the risk of getting offended. People hurt people, and hurt people hurt people. We, we are a society of hurt people. We're a society where, where generations have been abandoned by their fathers, have been abandoned by their mothers, have been abandoned by their protégés. They're out there alone trying to find their own way. But aren't you glad that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but there's a better way to a child of God? And that's a path called holiness, and we're walking that path pursuing what God has for us. I can tell I'm full of it today. There are two prophetic chapters in the Bible you need to write down, Ezekiel 38, Isaiah 14. Both those chapters tell you why Lucifer was cast from heaven to earth. It tells us that when Lucifer was created, the very power of music was in him. He was the rhythm of music. When he walked and when he talked, noise was made. When he opened his mouth, music came out. That's why music is so powerful today in the world. And, and we'll talk about music a little later. Pastor Rhonda shared something Wednesday night that I love to, to hear her say because I do it to her all the time. I can get up on any given morning and I can be in her presence just for a few minutes and I can sing a little song. And it's usually something like, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Ain't no sunshine when she's away. And then all day throughout the day, I'll hear Pastor Ronna saying, ain't no sunshine when I'm gone. It's, it's, so, it's so funny how powerful that music is. And we know that God has given us music. Music takes us directly into the presence of God. And we'll talk about that in a minute, how the enemy is trying to steal your joy. 
But when the Lord gave us power to tread upon serpents, those are things that we encounter daily. He also said, I give you power to tread upon scorpions. How many ever tried to pick up a scorpion? If you're not careful, when you go to pick the scorpion up, the tail will swing up and try to bite you. That represents the things of yesterday. All the things that have hurt you, all the things that have a bad taste in your mouth, all the things that there are bad memories, God has given you the ability to be healed from your past. The, the Apostle Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, because he murdered Christians. He went with an entourage. He had, he had a schedule from the government that he could kill any Christian he wanted. And if you can imagine the horror, the pain, the nightmare of having that on his chest, he said, I've got to come to a place in my life where I forget the failures and successes of yesterday, press towards the mark, pursuing the things that God has for me right now. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, very powerful. The, the, uh, are you guys got 1 Peter 5 and 8 ready for me? Throw that up there just for a minute. This is our thought or theme today where Peter, who can certainly relate to the devil messing with him. Hello? Let me say it again. Peter, who can certainly relate to the devil messing with him. It was Peter that said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Jesus that said, Peter, you didn't get this by book knowledge or by computers or by Google. God gave this to you. I mean, what a powerful, and God changes his name. And then a few minutes later, Jesus said, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And Peter laid hands on him and began to rebuke him. And you remember what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus was not talking to Peter. He was talking about that demonic entity that Peter could not see. As Satan stood there to try to convince Peter, to convince Jesus not to die on the cross, so Peter could relate to demonic activity. Here's what he said. Be sober. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, there is an enemy. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants to eat you up. The devil wants to destroy you. And he can only do it in one of three ways. He can tempt you. And God promises us that there's no temptation the enemy can put on us that we can't overcome by the blood of Jesus. He can, he can, he can try his best to accuse you. He is the accuser of the brethren. He accused God in the garden to Eve. You know the story. He's done it all through the ages. He can accuse you. The Bible says that blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake, for great shall be your reward in heaven. So when there's temptation, he gives you power to overcome. When there's accusation, he blesses you because you're a child of God. But the third area he likes to operate in is the spirit of deception. I wake up every morning knowing that somehow the enemy is going to try to tempt me. I wake up every morning knowing that probably in that day the enemy is going to accuse me. But Josh, I probably should be a little bit more alert and realize that every day the enemy... I wake up every morning knowing that somehow the enemy is going to try to tempt me. I wake up every morning knowing that probably in that day the enemy is going to accuse me. But Josh, I probably should be a little bit more alert and realize that every day the enemy is going to try to deceive me. No one gets up every morning saying, hey, the devil is going to try to deceive me today. But he does. That's, that's, the way he, that's the way he moves. That's the way he rolls. That's what he likes to do. Those three things the enemy tries to bring against you, the word says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we've tapped into things that God has given us. If, if I were to share my opinion, and this is simply a prophetic opinion, it happens to be shared also by Perry Stone and by Shane Warren, who's a very good scholar of the word. This is what we assume right now in Revelation 12. It talks about a woman that's pregnant with child. The sun is on her shoulders. The moon is under her feet. 
The sun represents the son of righteousness. The moon represents the enemy. As this woman that is pregnant with child gets ready to give birth to a, to a child, all of a sudden a dragon with seven heads shows up. You read the 12th chapter of Revelation, you'll learn that this dragon is Satan. And you'll learn that this woman will give birth and this birth will be caught up to God into the throne. I personally believe right now, my personal opinion, I believe right now that the church is pregnant with revival. I believe the church is pregnant with restoration. I believe that we're standing right on the peripheral of where the word says, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I'm not exactly sure what's going to push the baby out of the womb. I'm not sure if it's going to be another 911. I'm not sure if it's going to be another dirty bomb. I'm not sure if it's not going to be war in the Middle East. If you watch the news today, and Chris, you might help me, but I watched as Libya, as an army came to Libya and began to shoot hundreds of innocent citizens. Hundreds died today. The Libyan newspaper is trying to blame Israel. Israel is nowhere near Libya. It had nothing to do with this, this atrocity, but everything that happens in the Middle East is blamed on Israel because the world hates Israel. It's the place where God is going to return. His son's going to set his foot. There's going to be an earthquake. A river is going to flow from his foot to the Mediterranean Sea. And, and Jerusalem is going to become the most powerful city in the world. And the enemy hates that. So we see this, this, this woman that gives birth to this child. This child gets caught up into heaven. I personally believe that is you and I. That's the rapture of the church. But before the rapture of the church, the word says that there is a red dragon that has seven heads. And just, just for a moment, I want to talk about a snake that was in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field, that we know that the serpent deceived Eve, who turned around and talked her husband into disobedience. How ironic that in Genesis 3, he's a serpent. He's a little garden snake. Look at someone say garden snake. But by the 12th chapter of Revelation, he's a roaring dragon that has seven heads. How did he grow from serpent to dragon. We know that your container is made up of body, soul, and spirit. The word for body in the Greek is soma. The word for spirit, the word for soul is psyche. You're made up of soma, pneuma, and psyche. But there are things that your body produces found in Galatians 5 and 7 that's called flesh. Not your actual soma, but the flesh, the attitudes that we generate. The Bible says the works of the flesh are and you know them, jealousy, envy, pride, all those things that happen. When we manifest anything in the flesh, it feeds the devil. Don't get quiet on me. God told the servant, from this day forward, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust of the earth. And every time a child of God drops the ball, the enemy goes right to God and accuses us. Every time the child of God does something that is not pleasing to God, the enemy goes to God and tries to burn us and run us down. Can anybody relate? But I believe there are times when the enemy goes to God and said, have you considered my servant Barb? Have you considered my servant Sarah? Have you considered my servant Rachel? Have you seen that they walk, they follow me? How good would it be for the enemy not to have anything to accuse God towards you, that you're walking the place God wants you to walk, and you're doing what God wants you to do? Someone say, praise the Lord. Is that, can we have that? Can we walk in that? Well, let's see today if we can. As we look at, these, as we look at this seven-headed dragon, there are a couple of different prophetic views as to what these seven heads are. Many people believe that the seven heads could represent the seven hills of Rome. If you go to Rome, there are seven geographical hills, and some say, well, that's the seven hills. Many 
Bible scholars believe that there are seven capitals of Rome. Rome has seven different capitals, and these seven capitals could represent the seven heads. I personally believe that these seven heads represent seven governments from the days of Adam until now that has been upon this earth. I believe that city has spirits. I believe that there are prince or power of the air. Daniel said that there's a prince of Greece. There's a prince of Persia. I believe there's a prince of Cleveland. I believe each city has its own, own personal bonding spirit. Can anybody relate? If you've ever been sensitive to spirit and driven into El Paso, Texas, there's something creepy that happens when you get into El Paso, Santa Teresa, one of the most demonic occults in the world, that's their headquarters where there are millions of people that practice sanitary. It's a Spanish form of voodoo. I don't know if you've ever been praying and seeking God and driven into Knoxville and just felt all almost kind of a yucky feeling. Almost some of the strongest satanic churches in the world are headquartered in Knoxville. Cleveland, I would say, is the land of division. The word cleave, if you were to look at the word cleave, it means to separate or divide. I've never seen a city that is so controversial and so religious. Please don't get quiet on me. I go to several, I go to several places. I meet a lot of people. And I ask them, I say, well, where do you go to church? Oh, we go to the Church of the Harvest. I go, oh, well, what's the pastor's name? Oh, his name is Hank. I said, okay, well, when's the last time you were there? Well, we weren't there for, well, it's been a while since I've been there. I said, well, I want to introduce myself. I've had plastic surgery, reconstructive, all of you didn't recognize me. I'm Pastor Hank. I mean, everybody in this city has a church. Have you noticed? Everybody in the city has something they call home, something they call, but, but, but this is the most unattended church city probably in, in, in the state of Tennessee. And so, so it's, it's got a spirit. It's a spirit that we've already arrived. We know it all. Um, we got we got Perry Stone, we got Judy Jacobs, we got Phil Driscoll, we got Rhonda Davis, we got Richard Hall, we got Norval Hayes, we've got I mean I mean ministries have chosen this city to have their modus operandi. I don't me I'd have chose probably Phoenix or, or uh, Laguna. Where's my Laguna fan? Laguna, California, baby. That's that's where we may set up our next ministry. How many will move with me if we decide to go to Laguna? Okay. That's enough to start. We can we we can make it happen. Every city has a particular, every city has, I believe, a particular territorial or controlling spirit. The Bible says that we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness in the heavenlies. So if you're with me on that, then let us just for a moment, if we can look at the seven kingdoms from then till now that's been established, I believe that each kingdom has its own particular bondage and attack against you. The first kingdom that was established upon this earth is the kingdom of Egypt. And if you look at the kingdom of Egypt, you will see, obviously, an obvious thrust towards spiritual bondage. 31 years of ministry, I have watched people come to the church gloriously healed and delivered from all kinds of junk. But yet, the minute they, they try to serve God, there seems to be some kind of spiritual attack that tries to lead them back to the things that they were involved in earlier. Can anybody relate? We have a little, we have a little um, ch uh, chihuahua, chihuahua. And um, he loves people food. You're not supposed to give a dog people food because if you give a dog people food, the dog will get people disease. And the dog doesn't have the ability to fend off people disease, but, you know, it goes in one ear and out the other. We, we, we ask for doggy bags that we can take home to our dog. Actually, we go home, heat it, and eat it ourselves. But, but the point I was going to make is that when our puppy gets the wrong kind of food, he throws it up. We don't have to worry about cleaning up because a minute or two later, he'll come right back and he'll, he'll eat it. The Bible says, is that gross? Yes. It's as a dog returning to its vomit. 
spiritual bondages to such a degree, why, after you've tasted the things of God, you've enjoyed the, the movement of God, you enjoy the family of God, the friends of God, why would you want to go back to the place that you've been set free and you've been delivered? Again, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm going to give you a little lesson that will help you. I want to address the young people. When Samson was born, his parents dedicated him to God. There was obviously something special about Samson. He was a, he was a favorite child. He was a great kid. He was a, he was a kid that was anointed. Samson, point blank, disobeyed his family. Went somewhere he shouldn't have gone. Met someone that he fell in love with. They got married. Because Samson was different from the people he married and because the people that, 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 that Samson married into resented him and was jealous of him, they took his wife and they murdered her. And they took her dad and her mom and they murdered them too. Sam, Samson, just a, a young man trying to do what he thought was right. Wife gets murdered, family gets murdered. He gets an attitude. He begins to take out the Philistines. He begins to destroy it and begins to kill them by the thousand. One day he killed a thousand. You know the story. Samson met somebody by the name of Delilah. They came to Delilah and said, if you can tell us what Samson's secret is, obviously he's connected. Obviously he's tied into something. If you can tell us what his secret is, we'll, we'll reward you. And they gave her a they gave her a a promise of recompense. And so Delilah would try to convince Samson to tell her where his strength lay. Notice that every time that he told her where his strength lay, it had to do with binding. If you'll buy me with seven ropes, if you'll buy me seven times, let me tell you something. You cannot walk in the freedom of God and keep laying your head in the lap of Delilah. There are things you cannot do. There are places you cannot go. I was sharing this a little earlier in, in the week with someone that I care very much about. When I gave my heart to God, I made some phone calls to friends that I, I cared about and friends I enjoyed being around. And I told them, I said, listen, I said, I'm a drug addict and I've lost everything and I've got to get off drugs. And the only way I know how to get off drugs is to quit coming around you because I know, I know you guys will have drugs. I know you'll say, well, you won't give me any, but it'll be there and I'll be tempted. And Josh, I shut that door. I did, not, I did not go back to any of those friends. Some of them were cousins. Some of them were relatives. Some of them, I had to shut that door. Samson didn't learn how to shut the door. And lo and behold, one day he shared the secret of his heart. He shared what he was feeling. And lo and behold, you know the story. She cut his hair when he came. And they had bound, she had bound him. When, when, when they came, he had no power. And it sounds like the story of a loser. It sounds like the story of an addict. For years, he ground corn. He went in circles, round and round and round, and accomplished nothing. But one day, he called out to God. And I share this with every person in this building. Your best years are yet to come. Your best days are ahead. Your best moments are ahead. Samson said, God, let me feel your power one more time. And in that day, Samson took out more of the enemy in one day than he had in his entire life. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up. Don't let the spirit of bondage convince you to get sucked back into that life. Again, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to anoint me to set at captive those that are bound. He came today to set you free from any addiction, for anything in your life that's binding you. Let him do it. The second kingdom that you will find as we look at the kingdom of, of Egypt and the kingdom of Egypt was what? Talk to me. 
spiritual bondage. The second kingdom that we find in, in history of mankind is the kingdom of Syria. And let me tell you a little bit about Syria. Syria was a kingdom that was made up of two parts. You remember the story of David. David brings the ten tribes of the north, Judah and Bethlehem together. All twelve tribes are operating together in blessing and honor. We know that David dies. His son Solomon has a challenge with anybody? Idols. He had 300 wives and 700 girlfriends. And the Bible said he loved his wives and their idols. Samson is not found in Hebrews 11th chapter. We hope that, Sa that Sa Solomon, rather, we hope that Solomon made it to heaven. Solomon gave us the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastic, Song of Solomon, powerful, a powerful writer, a man that learned a lot of great things. But Sa Samuel told Saul that idolatry is as a sin of what? No, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Idolatry is a sin of stubbornness. There's a spirit that tries to attack our nation. We talked about it Wednesday night. You go to, how many of ever tried to pick up a lizard? What happened when you pick up the lizard? It, it, it scrunched its neck around, tried to, try to sneak around it and try to, try to bite you. God warns us, do not be a stick-necked people. Do not be a people that we cannot accept correction. We cannot accept discipline. We cannot accept the favor or the hand of God. I think that uh, Didi's got it down. You hit down, Didi? You don't ever do that, do you? You don't. See, a lot, a lot of times when our, when our parents ask us or leadership asks us to do something, there's something on the inside of us rises up, and it's called stubbornness. And what happens is your stubbornness, you're putting something before your God, and that's you. Your plan is more important. Your ways are more important. So what happens when Solomon dies because he loved his women and his idols, he had two sons, Jeroboam and what was the other one? going to make me look at my notes. Anybody know the answer to that? Rehoboam. He has two sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam was the guy that had an attitude. He was arrogant. He was cocky. He was evil. He said, if you think my dad put pressure on you, I'm going to cause a scorpion to bite you. And Jeroboam took the two tribes of, of Israel. He took the ten tribes of Israel. And there was division. Can I tell you what God hates? Anybody? God hates the spirit of division. I'll be very careful to say, knock on wood, knock on whatever I, whatever I can. There never has been a division out of this church. We're 21 years old. No one ever got mad and said, hey, I'm going to go start a church across town. However, I did some research. There are over 20 churches in this town that were birthed out of a split. I have been involved. I have been, Pastor Bison, I have been involved in a split. While I was trying to hold a revival, they're trying to figure out who got the pews and who got the organ. I remember there was one particular church. I mean, they were, Josh, they were fight, they were fussing, they were having, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was tough. Everybody's fighting against one another. And one day there was a message in tongues. And that's when God speaks to one of his servants in an unknown language. Someone gave up and got the interpretation. And the ter interpretation went like this. It's been said that I am the Lord and this is my house and I'm in this house. But know that I, the Lord, am not within a thousand miles of this house. David, did you get it? That New York anointing? If the enemy can, he wants to bring division to the body of Christ. He wants to divide you over the music. He wants to divide you. I have seen churches split. This will crack you up over the color of the robes of the choir. 
That's why I never allow anybody to pick out any colors in this church. I just pick out all my own colors. If you don't like it, you get mad at me. But if I raise up committee and I choose your color over this color, there's a very good possibility it could irritate or hurt someone's feelings. How many knows that pastors kind of joking but kind of serious at the, at, the same, at the same time? I people get mad because I planted trees around the... I mean, I mean it, it's, it's amazing how many things you can do in one day to make people, people mad when you had no intention of making them mad. And then when you go out with the attitude, you're going to make them mad, then you really hit a home run. It is amazing. The first attack that the enemy has against you today is a spirit of bondage. He wants to keep you, whatever addiction, whatever thing in your life that's binding you, he will, he will teach you how to pet it. But when God started talking about Leviathan in Job 39, he said, you can't put it on a leash. You can't control it. You cannot, you cannot baby a crocodile. It will turn around. It will bite you. It will hurt you. And anything in your life that you're feeding, anything in your life that you're hiding, anything in your life that you're petting, eventually it will grow up and it will consume you. And I'll show you that in a minute. If you go to Psalm 137, I want to, I want to bring something to your attention. Guys, if you'll get ready to show that entire chapter, Psalm 137. The third attack against you today, the third kingdom to visit this earth after the Syrian kingdom was, a, was the kingdom of Babylon. How remembers the story of Babylon? Nimrod decided that he's going to build a tower that's going to reach heaven. It wasn't a tower that's going to go billions of miles up into heaven, but it was a tower that the top floor of this tower had all the zodiac signs. What Babylon was trying to do, what Nimrod was trying to do, was trying to find the, the door to heaven. How many knows there is a door to heaven? How many of you do not know there's a door to heaven? When Jacob tried to steal his brother's birthright and was thrown out of the house and he left in the middle of the night, the Bible says he laid down a pillow for a rock and when he woke up, what did he see? Anybody talk to me. Angels going up and down a stairway, a stairway into heaven. That's where Led Zeppelin got the, got the thought stairway to heaven the bible teaches that there's a hole in the north there's a place god is the god of the north and there's probably a door i don't want to freak anybody out but there's probably a door that when god comes for you there's a door that you step through that takes you immediately in the presence of god the babylonians were trying to find this and they tried to find it by the way of zodiac we were talking today about being a full moon how many scorpions do we have in the building three of us good we're going to rule the world one day see See, people sometimes get, get so hung up about their, about their zodiac sign that they forget the Word of God has all kinds of things to say about you. If you just take the time to read it and see who you are and what you are in the, in the kingdom of Christ. Oh, that was a good one. When people just run their mouth, you call it, they're just babbling, right? Babbling, Babel. The word bab, bab means entrance. El means God. The word babel means entrance to God. When they built that tower, they called it Ekatamaani. The word ekatama on it means where God and earth meet. There's a place where God and earth meet, but can I tell you where it's at? It's at an old rugged cross. It's at an old-fashioned altar. It's a place where you get on your knees and you call out to God. That's the ekatama ani in your life. It's not, it's not babbling. It's not a place of confusion. The third attack the enemy wants to bring against you is confusion. I've never seen so many people confused in these last days concerning the coming of Christ. We have a pre-trib uh, thought that he's going to come before any tribulation. Then we have a post-trib thought that he's going to come, we're going to go through all the tribulation. Then there's a mid-trib thought that we're going to go through half of it, and then it's going to come. My theology, Sister Vicki, is a pan-trib. I just got a feeling everything's going to pan out okay. Pre, mid, or post, God is, 
Help me. God's in control. I don't think God's going to let us walk through the wrath that he's pouring upon those that rejected his son because I didn't reject his son. I accepted his son. I believe he's going to come like a thief in the night and call me out, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Would that be wild if that happened in our generation? Man, you talk about goosebumps. You talk about your hair raising up on the back of your head. Could you imagine flipping hamburgers at, at, at McDonald's? All of a sudden, you feel your spirit begin to rise. And if you're like me, you know what you'll do? You'll look for the dirtiest, ugliest sinner you can find. Grab him one hand, grab the other. Get about 500 feet high, then you give your last altar call. And how effective. Do you get saved or I let go? I promise you, I'll be 90%. Okay. I, I would say they, they'd get saved before I would let go. But that, that is how the Lord is he's going, to come, he's, he's going to return for his people. Why are we such a confused generation? Why is there so much confusion in the camp? God has not given us, help me, the spirit of confusion, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Look at someone and say, I am not confused in Jesus' name. I knew who I am, who I belong to, and where I'm going. So the first camp was, help me, bondage. The second camp is division. The, th the third camp is confusion, how the enemy wants to confuse. Can I tell you how he wants to confuse? Would that be okay? Pastor Rhonda been touching on the book of Daniel. We know that Isaiah came to Hezekiah, warned him what was going to happen to his children because of his disobedience. It takes place. Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, is the king when the, Bab when, when the Babylonians come to overthrow Jerusalem. Let me say, they did three things to Zedekiah that the enemy wants to do to you today. Number one, they plucked out his eyes. He lost his vision. The eyes are the window to the soul. When you start getting confused about what your vision is, or, you, or you're not sure what your vision is, or things become very cloudy, that is probably the spirit of confusion that's trying to affect you and hurt you. The second thing the Babylonians did when they came to Jerusalem was they took most of, the, most, of the, most of the boys and castrated them and made them eunuchs, changed their diet and changed their name. I've never seen a generation to have so much a tendency to have alcohol attached to their meal. I've never seen a generation that is so gender confused in the last days. I've never seen, I've never seen a society where children are divorcing and, and, and suing their parents. I've never seen a generation where there's so much antipathy, there's, there's so much anger, there's so much hatred, there's so much frustration. The word says in the last days that I will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, the hearts of the fathers back to the children. That could be spiritual fathers because what I'm seeing today is a lot of fathers are just abandoning their children, abandoning their responsibilities, doing whatever they want to do. I'll be very careful, but I have been drug testing someone for quite a while, and one day she tested dirty. And she argued with me. She said, there's no way I tested dirty. No way. And lo and behold, a little later, she, she confessed. She had taken her niece's urine, who was seven years old, and brought it to the test, not knowing that her family was medicating their kids so they could go out and party. Someone tell me that we're not living in a scary day. We're not living a day of confusion, role-playing. Not sure, not sure what you are. Let me tell you something. God does not make a mistake and put a woman in a man's body, or God does not make a mistake and put a man in a woman's body. He told Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew your name, I knew your gender, and I knew your ministry. Look at someone and say, praise God. God knows what I'm all about. If the enemy can, he would like to change your diet. I'll be very careful because I'm very guilty of running the Taco Bell. I love the Big Mac. I wish that... 
help me, uh, Pastor Rhonda, on NCS, the, the scientist, the girl scientist, what's her name? I wish that Abby would find the secret formula to, to the Big Mac so I could make it at home. She found the secret to Kentucky Fried Chicken and let them eat, knowing that the stuff that we're putting in our body is not good for us. It's hurting us. How confusing is that? Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I got three. I got three that eat right. The rest could fast foods. The, the, the Psalm 137, the last thing that an enemy would like to take from you is your vision, your children. Psalm 137, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. That says, and they that wasted us required us to sing the Lord's song. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If the enemy can steal your song, he can steal your joy. Let me say it again. Those of you that find it important to be late for praise and worship, he's already one strike on you. Those of you that don't even come for praise and worship, he's two strikes on you. Those of you that don't have your own worship and your own praise during the day on your own, He's just about going to drag you off down somewhere. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you lose your song, you lose your joy. You watch a child that's happy, or you watch a grandparent that's happy. My dad is real bad about whistling. My dad is a whistler. He is the whistler. He's the whistless whist- whistler I've ever, I've ever witnessed. Say that fast three times. He's the whistless Hey, I'm speaking in tongue. Hey, if you never spoke in tongue, say that fast three times. You'll speak in tongue. He is a whistler. If you're around him, and my grandma was a my grandma was a whistler, and I am becoming a whistler. The thing that I feared the most, I am becoming. But you watch you watch a child, and you you get a child in a setting that that child is comfortable. That child will begin to make up words, begin to make up tunes, and begin to make up songs. I personally believe our nation has lost her joy. And I believe that's why we're putting things in our body to try to get high. Buying things to try to make us feel better. Doing things that that we're trying to get something back. But I believe that what we're looking for is not found in a bottle or a needle, but it comes in a personal relationship with a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes that lived a life and died a life that you and I can have life and have it more abundantly. Someone say praise the Lord with me in this house. Thank you. The next kingdom that I want to talk about in the first kingdom was bondage, the second kingdom. Division, the third kingdom. Confusion, the fourth kingdom. I haven't told you what the fourth one is. Are you ready? The fourth kingdom. Is anybody frustrated about being confused? Do you have the very last verse of Psalm 137? Hey, can you pull that up? You guys want to be happy? You guys want to be blessed? Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the rocks. How many got happy? How many says, Pastor, that sounds like child cruelty. Here's what the people of God realized. They were trapped. They were snared. They were in captivity. They realized that the babies of the Babylonians did not remain babies, but they grew up into Papa and Mama Babylonians, that if there was a way to kill the baby Babylonians, then maybe they could be set free. When God claimed the city, usually God killed everything. You know why? He didn't want anything that could live or procreate that would hurt the family of God. It's the little things in life, if you're not careful, that will suck you into the bigger picture. Do I have time for a story? There's a lake in Southern California. It's uh, probably one of the largest bass in the world come out of this lake. 
every year they have they have all kinds of competition they'll have the the bass pro will go there the anglers will go there sometimes you can go and win millions of dollars in this particular lake one time this fishing was kind of bad nobody was catching anything one morning a little boy about 10 11 12 years old came into the camp with a stringer full of big bass immediately every fisherman was at his camp saying what what'd you catch him on what part of the river what part of the lake and he proceeded to tell them that on the way to the fishing hole he'd found some worms and he put these worms in a mayonnaise jar and he went fishing with these worms and cut all these bass and he said but you got to be careful these worms will bite this this boy had found a nest of copperheads baby copperheads and he took them fishing not realizing that little snakes have the ability to bite just as well as big snakes. Little boy died in the back of an ambulance when the paramedics tried to get him to the nearest hospital there in Bakersfield. He died because he didn't realize, everybody knows that big snakes can hurt you, but nobody knows that little things, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Deal with the little things in your life. Don't let them grow up to be monsters to steal and take and divide from you. The fourth kingdom I want to talk about is the kingdom that defeated the Babylonians, and that was the Medo-Persian uh, kingdom and this kingdom represents the kingdom are you ready for this frustration frustration is the number one tool the enemy will use to keep you from being what you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do in the kingdom I personally believe in the spiritual world that when you get pregnant with something from God I personally believe that there are people in life that will carry that baby eight months 30 days and 23 hours and right before that baby is about to be birthed, they get frustrated and have a spiritual abortion. Stay with me just for a minute. Moses, what a great man of God that saw great, incredible things. He got so frustrated at the people of God. Do you remember what he did? He struck the rock instead of spoke to it. What happened? He didn't go into the promised land as, as God had said that he would lead the people. It was Joshua and Caleb that led the people in the promised land. Listen. God has your name on his calendar. And in God's time, what he has promised you is going to come to pass. In God's time, what he spoke to you, it, it's going, it will manifest itself. It will take place. It, it will do what he says it will do. Don't get frustrated and disqualify yourself a day, a week, a month, a year before your time comes into process. There are people in this room, and I, I won't embarrass them. Uh, let me embarrass myself. When I got saved and came to, and came to Cleveland and, and, lived, and lived for the Lord, tried to win Pastor Rhonda back, and she wouldn't have anything to do with me, and, and she was dating this for-him lead singer guy. At that time, he was singing for someone else, whoever they were. Anyway, anyway she, wouldn't have anything, she wouldn't have anything to do with me. I forgot the story. that I, Why was I telling that story? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. First of all, so so in, that, in that season, when she didn't like fall head and heels with me, I thought I was supposed to play the bass for Nancy Harmon. I mean, I thought that's what I was supposed to do with my life. So for, so for Josh, about 30 days, every single day, I called Nancy Harmon. Every single day, I called her. Every single day, I got a voicemail. I got a secretary. I'll call you back. And, and I knew Nancy. She had been, she'd been at our church. We'd, she'd, she'd ministered to us. We knew her. She's the one that set her teeth out on the organ. Remember I told you the story when I was a junior in high school? And so, and so we, we were connected. On the 30th day, I finally get her. I get her. I get Nancy Harmon. I get her. Now, I kind of given up with the Nancy Harmon thing, so I applied for Dallas Home. Dallas Home wanted a bass player that could sing. Well, that left me and Paul out, so 
There was no job there with, with Dallas Home. But I played the bass and played a pretty good bass. At that, at that time, I played a pretty good bass. And so I thought, I'm going to play with Nancy Hartman. The day I get her, the day she calls me back and says, hey, Hank, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I've recommitted my heart to God. I'm trying to win Rhonda back. And I just, I heard that you were needing a bass player. And I really feel like I'm ready to go on the road. I think I can play that kind of music. I grew up in that kind of music. That's all I've ever known. And she said, Hank, you're not going to believe this. I hate it when they say that. She said, I hired John, Star John Thorne. Remember John Thorne? Yesterday. I said, Nancy, you've got to be kidding. Nancy, it's God's will for me to try. I know it is. She said, well, Hank, I'll, I'll keep, I'll, I'll remember. Well, that never happened. That next week, I flew out. I was frustrated. I was irritated. Spencer, I thought God had let me down. I thought, I said, this is not fair. This is, this is the pits. In those days, we didn't use words like vacuum or suck. It was just the pits. <laughs> and so when I got, to, when I got to, the, to California, it happened to be Easter Sunday. And my dad said, Easter Sunday, he said, hey, would you like to preach? And I had one sermon. And Susan, it was 27 pages. You know how I know it's 27 pages? At the end of the sermon, instead of mom, mom telling me how good the sermon was, she said that every time I turned the page, I licked my finger, and I licked my finger 27 times. A great, it, was a great, it was a great sermon. What it cost Jesus to prove his love for us. It was a great, people got saved. Dad came up after the altar call. Oh, this is scary. And dad stood before the body and said, we're in revival. Come back tomorrow night at 7. I had, I, Veronica, I had nothing. I had, no, I had one sermon. That was it. One sermon. That next day, I got up and preached a sermon on spiritual warfare. The next day, for three weeks, every day, God gave me a sermon. There are about 35 decisions for the Lord, and that pushed me out of the nest into full-time evangelism, preached three years divorced from Pastor Ron before we reconnected, and then preached five years more as an evangelist in the body of Christ. Had I, had I done what I wanted to do, when Nancy said no, I mean, my attitude was, I wanted to go get drunk. I mean, I mean, it's okay to be real. I mean, I wanted to go back to that vomit because at least if I went back to that vomit, there'd be something that I was familiar with and we could be miserable together. But I didn't. Went to California. I preached a sermon and stepped in what God had for me. There are people in my life, you may think that you're supposed to lead a praise and worship team. You're supposed to do this and that. You might be a great speaker, a great exhort. There's no telling what God has for you, but don't get frustrated. Look at somebody and say, I will not get frustrated in Jesus' name. Your frustration, can you go to Ezra 4 and 4 real quick, Hayden, for me? Ezra 4 and 4. The majority of your frustration will usually come, are you ready from this? From a family member or someone who knows you. Let me say it again. Your greatest frustration will come from a family member or someone who knows you. When Jesus began to minister, they began to say, is he not the carpenter's son? I remember when I shared with my mom my great revelation on tithing. I told my mom, I said, I'm not going to tithe on what I make. I'm going to tithe on what I'd like to make. And I started tithing 20% instead of 10. My precious mom did her best to try to talk me out of it. And in, in that season when I was traveling and ministering and I was supporting my, the church that I was a part of, and I, and I was tithing, I was doing everything that, that God wanted me to do, I had subbed out my contractor's license and framers. And they paid me every week for my, for my license. They did a job. They paid me. Well, somehow, I'm not exactly sure, but Workman's Comp sent me a compensation check for like $5,000. And 
And all the money I tithed up to that point, that chuck more than doubled what I'd already given to God. And one of the best days of my life, when I went and showed that check to my mom, I said, nana, nana, boo-boo, I told you, I told you. And I could show her the proof was in the pudding. But if you're not careful, your family, you want to sing? You want to write? You want to paint? You ain't a painter. You want to do this? You want if, if, if you're not careful, you're, you'll show your video one that, I mean, they... I mean, we were, we were teasing yesterday, Pastor Rhonda and I were with Pastor Connie and Pastor David, and I forgot what Pastor Rhonda said, but whatever it said, I thought, I was thinking about Pastor Rhonda is the kind of person that when you, you know, when you release the doves for the funeral, Pastor Rhonda would be the kind of person that would get the shotgun and shoot the dove down. <laughs> we were teasing about something. There are people in your life, they want to shoot your doves out of the sky. Here you are trying to have a vision, a move of God, trying to do something with your life, and they're telling you you can't do it because you're left-handed. Right. You can't do it because you're a surfer dude. You can't do it because whatever reason you can't do it. There's always a bunch of reasons why you can't do it. Only one reason, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and he told me to do it. So who gives a flying flip what anybody else has to say? As for me and my house, we're going to stand on this decision. We're going to serve God and do what God has called us to do and be what God wants us to be. Beware of frustration. The second, the second thing in frustration, I promise you, if you've ever built anything, there are demons and shingles. There are demons and nails. There are demons. I, I mean, I, mean I, I am a fairly kind of, sort of builder. And I think one of the things that causes the most irritation in my family's life is the projects I start but don't finish. How many can relate? It's, by li it's like living with a $100 an hour mechanic and your car's always broke down. He remodels the whole bedroom and you have no door for three years. He's going to put a microwave in and there's a hole in the cabinet for, and it's still there. And every time you gripe about it, just, it just, he, he cuts something else. And Can anybody relate? Building is frustrating. We have the past couple of weeks been trying to raise money for the children's facility. I've been calling different ones saying, hey, here's some things we can do. We can, we can get this tile right here for 88 cents. We only need about 400 of those. And I had someone very dear to me tell me, said, Pastor, I'll be honest with you, I'm frustrated. And when he told me why he's frustrated, I said, I'm frustrated too. Let me explain, let me explain to you about our roof. Can I, can I tell you about our roof? When we birthed this church, we went to Holiday Inn. After eight weeks of revival, I took a stack of, of salvation cards that thick. And those are the only ones I invited to our meeting on Wednesday night, holiday, and 500 sinners got saved. Exactly 120 people showed up for our first meeting. 120. How weird was that? We went from the, from the holiday inn to the, to the dollar store, converted that, set our equipment up, concrete floors. I mean, it was a trip. Then we ordered some buildings. We ordered six buildings bolted together that had no bearing walls. The actual sanctuary from that wall to that wall there are six trailers here, like, like a trailer you would see in uh, Alabama. Or, or, do, you know what a, uh, do you know what a divorce and a tornado has in common in Alabama? Anybody? Someone's about to lose a trailer. Never mind. That, that ain't costing that. But, but, but we, are literally, we are literally in six trailers. They've got, this, they've got an air conditioning unit on the end of them. They've got a power pole. And they're all bolted together. And we outgrew it when we got it here. So we never intended to be in this facility. 20, we never intended to be here 21 years. So what we've done, we've added on here, we've added on here, we've added on here. And this water, water is demon-possessed, I promise you. If, if water can find a place to leak, it will. 
Water can, water can pound on a rock and it will beat the rock. It eventually will drill, drill a hole in the rock. That's how persistent water is. And that's why we keep moving our buckets. We fix this leak and that demonic water moves over to this section and we fix that leak. And we've asked several different ones to come and look. We've, we've spent money, people looking at it. But now I want to put all the responsibility and all the blame from now on on Dean. I said, Dean, you take whatever it takes to fix it. I'll sell some guns. I'll sell the 55 Chevy. I'll sell whatever it takes. We'll raise the money. We'll fix the roof. I mean, how many can relate how frustrating it is when you come and there's a pan, a pan in the middle of the floor and water dripping down? Does that frustrate you? There's, there's something frustrating about building. But if we can survive the roof, then we can probably build a complex that will feed the world, that will touch the heart of God and raise up drama queens and drama actors that will touch uh, Christian television. Did, are you with me on that vision? If we can make it through this phase, if we can get this rug fixed, if we can get that thing remodeled, and we get this building the way it needs to be, I promise you, the first person that comes by and offers us $5 million, we'll sell it all, and we'll buy six acres and build what we want. Would somebody give the Lord a hand? I promise you, the first person that comes by and offers us $5 million, we'll sell it all, and we'll buy six acres and build what we want. Would somebody give the Lord a hand? God, pray. Don't be frustrated. Pray that buyer in. The sixth thing that I want to bring to your, the fifth thing I want to bring to your attention is the Grecian Empire. The Grecian Empire was the empire of persecution. The first four things that happened to you are personal. The last things that happened to you are going to be corporate. The Grecian Empire was ruled by Alexander the Great. He conquered the world. He was actually very kind to the Jews. He did not really have a problem with the Jews when he conquered the Jewish people. But right about at the time that he conquered the world, he dies prematurely. His kingdom is divided into four parts, and I'm probably going to slaughter this name, but Antiochus Epiphany in 168 began to rule one-fourth the Grecian Empire. And he came, he had such a hatred towards the Jews that he began to persecute them, not by killing them, not by feeding them to the lions, but by changing times and changing seasons please stay with me the bible says in the last days in the book of daniel pastor ron will address this that when the antichrist comes on the season on the on the on the, on the scene he will change times and he will change laws times represent i'll explain to you in a minute what times represent so when this guy began to be the dictator over the israeli people he he made a he passed a law that says no longer could they be circumcised Circumcised was a covenant idea that God had. And God circumcised all the people of Egypt before he brought them out of bondage into the land of victory. It's a covenant thing that God established. The first thing the enemy tried to do was to affect their covenant with God. The second thing that this dictator did, he said they no longer could worship on the Sabbath. That, that day was no longer special and holy to the Lord. And he forced them to begin to work on the Sabbath. The third thing that he did, he said that no longer... Can you read your Bible in Hebrew? You have to read it in the Grecian language. You cannot, can no longer have any Hebrew literature in your house. And the fourth law he passed is they, that no single person can meet together in one setting in a synagogue. So notice what he did. He affected their, their covenant with God. He affected their worship. He affected their Bible reading. And he affected their corporate gathering. I have watched the enemy in the last days affect all four of those things in our life. Many people don't understand the, the promises of the covenant. People, people don't understand however, however you feel, whether you worship Saturday or whether you worship Sunday. 
whatever, whatever day that you worship. They don't understand the importance of worshiping together corporately. And that's a persecution the enemy has brought. To change the times and to change the laws, a law has been passed. Are you ready for this? We just celebrated Christmas. A law has been passed that many government officials no longer want a manger in a place like a post office or a, a courthouse that they've had the ability to remove the manger from our, from our, from our judiciary places. The, Bill of, the Ten Commandments has been removed. How many remembers all the stuff that went on in Alabama? There's a church in California, built a real nice building, wanted to have a cross. The city officials said you could not have a cross in that same city in California. There's a mall there called the Buddha Mall, and there's a great big image of Buddha on top of this mall, and there's a Muslim mosque, and on this mosque is the star and the crown. It's funny that every other religion of the world can do whatever they want to do except for our religion, our faith, and we're the ones under attack. But let me tell you something. Every time you persecute the people of God, we don't get weaker. We get stronger. We become more viable. We become more in touch. When Pharaoh put the pressures on the people of God, the Bible said they grew to such a degree that Pharaoh was afraid of them. I believe the world is afraid of us. If we do what we're supposed to do, we can eliminate every pill bottle in the world. We can eliminate every doctor, surgeon, in on life. We could, we could change destiny if we were to step in the place we're supposed to be. The world is afraid of us. We don't realize how much the world is afraid of us because of the God that lives on the inside of us. So that didn't cost you anything. Just don't allow the enemy to silence us. Daniel 7.25 says the Antichrist will have the ability to change the times and the seasons. The sixth thing that I want to bring to your attention, how many remember what the first one was? Everybody say Bondage. The second thing, division. The third thing, confusion. The fourth thing, frustration. The fifth thing, persecution. The sixth thing, tolerance. The Roman government tolerated everything. Nero was gay. Some believe he was a pedophile. They tolerated that. They tolerated feeding Christians to lions. They tolerated, they impaled Christians and stuck them on posts and would light them at night so that the Roman citizens could walk down the, the road and, and see where they were going. Every other religion was accepted. See, because, because if you acknowledge that Caesar was God, he was God over all. If you, if you acknowledge the Roman government was God, they were God over all. But only the Christian faith says that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. How many agrees that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? There was a... There's an attitude. Let me be careful, how I, be careful how I say this. You can't change what you won't confront. When I preached Nina's funeral, most of you know that Nina grew up in church. I love the Lord. Her dad's in prison, will probably die in prison. Her mom completely freaked out on meth. Mom's been to altar several times here. You know the story. Nina got out of school, met a guy, got pregnant. However it went down, she got an abortion. She never forgave herself. She began to medicate. The human body can only handle so much medication. She began to take large amounts of Xanax. One day she took 30. She told her brother. Brother should have thought, should have 
because he'd watched his mom take that minute one time. It didn't concern him. She died. I was out of the state. Pastor Rhonda went. I think Tommy and Chris were there with you. They asked me to do the funeral. I did it. There were about 300 kids in the building that Sunday morning. How many were here? Many of the kids, serious face piercings, serious occultic ink. And I shared with those kids that day. I told them that, that I served a God of mercy and compassion. And here's what I'd like to think. I'd like to think as she felt life leaving her body, I would like to think that God came to where she was and spoke to her. And I'd like to think that she gave her heart to the Lord and she's in heaven. But I can't stand in front of 300 kids and tell you you can live your life any way you want. You can take any drug you want, any alcohol you want. You can, spend, you can, do, you can, you can live your life like hell. And the last minute before you die, God's going to come. And God's going to give you an opportunity to turn things around. Some of you were with me when I accepted the two kids from Birmingham. They came here and they stayed for four months. We kept them off of drugs, both in ministry. The mom came and got them, took them back to, back to the church. I begged her not to. I said, the kids aren't they're not clean. They've just been clean four months. We need to keep them a little longer. They went back to Birmingham. They got back on drugs. Drug deal went bad put the kids in the trunk of their car and set the car on fire and killed them. In testimony, the guy, he's, he, got, he got the death sentence. He will be executed eventually. But he testified that when they set the car on fire, they heard the girl praying in tongues. And I don't doubt that. She was a godly girl. She traveled with Pastor Ron and I and sang. But I went to the funeral that day. I was not a part of it. I just went. I sat up in the balcony. Four ministers spoke, and all four put them in heaven. You know what? I want them in heaven. I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. But there comes a place in our life where there's things we cannot tolerate. You cannot tolerate the Muslim and say that your way is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. You can't, you, you can't tolerate the Buddha that says this is the, the way of enlightenment is the way. You, you, you can't tolerate. There comes times in your life when you have got to be confrontational. There is a hot hell. There is the blood of Jesus. There's a place called heaven. There's a way called straight. And you've got to walk that way to know and be what God wants you to be. Tolerance. The last, and if you'll give me five minutes, I can do this in five minutes. The last kingdom of the world... Did you find that Ezra 4.4? Let's share that real quick because I believe that's important. The verse before, these are the people that went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple and the walls. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. There are people that do not want you growing in the Lord. There are people that do not want you drug free. They don't want you advancing in the kingdom. It's scary. When you were doing your own thing, nobody cared. But now that you want to serve God, everybody has an opinion. Don't let your peer, don't let the influence of the world affect you. You've been called to a higher call, a higher purpose, a higher destiny, and God's going to make it happen. This final kingdom that will come against you that's in, I believe, the world today is found in Daniel 10. The guys might be so kind to look it up for me. I'm pretty sure I wrote it down. 
Pastor Ron will find it for me real quick. I can do this from memory. The final attack of the enemy in the last days is to wear out the saints of the Most High. The enemy wants to wear you down, burn you out, trash you, make you weary. The word that I have for you today is this. Don't fall asleep. Pastor Ron and I have been calming the past few weeks, and I think a lot of it is financial pressure. The last, and today probably was really no different. I forced myself to get out of bed this morning before 8 o'clock. I forced myself. I didn't want to get up. I wanted to lay there and pout. I want to lay there and remind God how bad things are. I want to, can anybody relate? I think the number one attack of the enemy is to, is to wear you out to such a degree that you sleep all the time. When Jesus faced the greatest dilemma of his life, he said, could you not watch one hour? Three times they were asleep. The Bible says, while the Lord of the harvest sowed seed, the, the men slept, and the enemy came and sowed tares. Samson laid his head in the lap of Delilah three times. Don't fall asleep. Don't burn out. Don't let the enemy wear you down with things that aren't really that significant that you forget the more significant things in life. I don't think he wants to wear you down by overworking you. I think he wants to wear you down by overplaying you. I love to play. You're around me very long. You know I, I have a bass boat. Sold it. Jet skis, four-wheeler, dirt bike. I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to play racquetball. I, I love doing that stuff. But I got to be careful that I don't spend all my time playing. Then I'll spend as much time doing the things of God. My checkbook should not just show payments on the bass boat. My checkbook should show payments on the things of God. I should be sowing the same thing I'm sowing in a, in a new house. I should be sowing in God's house. And God helped me not to get lumpsided. God helped me not to be all focused on play. Like I can enjoy the things of God. When God entered Abraham into coven, I'll finish with this. Do you remember what happened in one of the parables when they sowed the seed? Do you remember what happened? The fowls of the air came and stole the seed. Fowls represent demonic entity. When Abraham went into covenant with God, you remember the story that God cut the animal right in half, and, animal wa and, and Abraham walked in a figure eight, eight is a number of new, new, do you remember what happened? The vultures of the air began to come and try to attack. And you remember what Abraham did? He took a piece of hyssop, and he tried to scare the vultures away. And it, Dana, he did it with such intensity that he fell asleep. Go to Job 28 and 7. I'll conclude with this. There is a place that you and I can walk that the enemy cannot intimidate. There's a place where you can get beyond the accusation, the deception, and the temptation. I believe that everything that the enemy births are the seven things that God hates. And number one thing that God hates is what? Pride. What, what do you call a colony of lions? Anybody? I'm going to show you. To me, this is, a, this, is a, this is a theological, spiritual breakthrough for me. There's a place 
Isaiah 35 calls it the place where the redeemed walk. And on that path, no fowl of the air can find. On that path, no vulture can come and pick at your sacrifice. On that path, no lion's pride, not whatever the lion bursts, none of the things of birth can come nigh your dwelling. And on that path, Satan himself cannot intimidate or frustrate you. It's called the path of holiness. It's called the path of righteousness. It's called the path of integrity. It's being who you're supposed to be, saying what you're supposed to say, and doing what you're supposed to do. The day of the verbiage of shoulda, coulda, woulda needs to eliminate our vocabulary. And we have got to step up to the plate and accept this challenge of God. To pray like we've never prayed. To work like we've never worked. To give like we've never given. To invest like we've never invested. I believe, I believe the things of God are pregnant. I believe the things of God are getting ready to come forth. And I told you, I don't want to miss the next move of God. I do not want to miss what, whether it's laughter, whether it's weeping, whether it's, whether it's whatever it is. I want to make sure I'm right there in the middle of it. I don't want the fowls there to come and steal the seed that's been sowed in my spirit. I don't want the vultures to come and pick at my praise. I don't want the seven things that God hates becoming a part of my life. He hates a, he hates a lying tongue, a proud look. He hates division and strife. He tells you what he hates. And I do not want to be deceived by the enemy. I want to walk in the fullness of the things of God. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. You're here today and you do not know the Lord as your Savior. You do not know the Lord.